Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Today's guest is a nationally recognized hospitality executive, conference speaker, innovator, builder, and investor with a track record for development of exceptional resort properties and growing world-class operational teams. Josh McCallan has began his professional hospitality career overseeing a landmark hotel in Austria, Europe. However, it was washing dishes at the age of 14, which gave him the ethic, the work ethic required for hospitality management. In the past 23 years, Josh McCallan has led over 150 million in luxury residential and hospitality construction, served as president of a 400 plus person hotel development and management company and built numerous businesses and brands. He's got a great story, and I really enjoyed this interview. So this was from GoBundance event here in Miami a few weeks ago, brought to you by On Air Brands. My man, Eric Cabral, asked me if I wanted to come and interview these successful men at their mastermind, and I said, sure, let's do it. So basically, GoBundance is... A mastermind for high-performing men, getting together and meeting up and wanting to level up. You know, you know, I don't have to explain what a mastermind is to you guys. I think you know, but basically, these guys are kicking ass in life. They get together and get together for a week, a weekend, and and mastermind and meet and all the things. So, I had the pleasure of interviewing a few of these men, and all of these conversations were gold. So, super grateful. One of the main things that I want you guys to listen to and take away from this interview is we really dive into the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. A lot of our conversation is based around the methods that are taught in that book, around leadership, around influence, and just like how timeless these lessons are. Even though the book is old, the lessons are very relevant. and. One of the biggest things that we can all do in our lives is become a great communicator and become great leaders. When you can do that, you're able to influence people. Not from, uh, there's obviously people that influence people in the wrong way and there's, all, there's people that influence in the right way that inspire people to want to be better humans for themselves, right? It's the leaders that are able to help people bring out the, those deep qualities within them. You know, that's the thing is like no book, no coach, no mentor is ever going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. But it takes a certain person to help people see that gift within so that they can apply it and take action in their own life. That's really, that's really the key is being able to read the right books, follow the right people that inspire you to want to be better. and. For somebody like Josh to be able to create what he's created, it takes a certain amount of leadership skills, communication skills, 
and to get there. People like Josh don't just get there by accident. So really listen to this conversation. And I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. And I highly recommend going and purchasing How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a great book and it's stood the test of time. Also, if you guys aren't subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so wherever you're listening or hit the follow button. What that means is it just downloads automatically to the platform you're listening to. And if you do want to really help, you really want to give back, you don't have to, but I really appreciate when you do, is if you leave us a review on Apple, it's really greatly appreciated. The more reviews we get, the better, and just helps the show in general. So what else do I got for you? Yeah, that's about it. It's a great conversation. And all Josh's information is below in the show notes. And yeah, enjoy. Josh McCallum coming straight up. Good to have you on, man. Well, thank you very much. It's so great to be here. I obviously can resonate. <laughs> as soon as I was looking at your story, I was like, all right, this guy's been in the hospitality game for a while. Yeah. So there's a certain person. There's a certain person. They're, not everybody can, can do it. Not everybody can no. create success in this. And there is like, oh, it's brutal. There is, yeah, it is. But there is like a certain human that has to be able to adapt. Yeah. You got to, you know, you got to zig when you got to zag. You got to, it's up and down. You got to deal with personalities. You got to deal with so much stuff that I personally have experienced, not to the management level and the growth and what you've done, but it's just fascinating to see. So I would love if you could kind of explain. A little bit about who you are. Like, how did you get into this whole world? And, Absolutely. Yeah. And what has made you so passionate about it to make that as like your... your you, you're teeing me up for yeah. my story, bro. Yeah. Like, perfectly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to hear one of my other shows I've done, <laughs> no. but to cut right to the chase, I am in love with the service of hospitality. I think hospitality can be exercise in every business and I'm working on a book like you but it, someday and it'll come out it'll be called soul full service two L's because like when you're the mom dad or whenever you're giving gifts at holidays the gift giver mm -hmm. is often the greater receiver right and I think hospitality is a work of humility yeah. if you embrace it right if you embrace it where it actually fills your heart it's when you're gifting away your kindness and love to others mm -hmm. So it's super powerful for me. And I stumbled into that accidentally. All right. Grew up poor, always was a, a bus boy. Then I was a dishwasher guy. Actually, I was a dishwasher. Crazy adversity story there. We'll get back to <laughs> a dishwasher, then a bus boy, then a pizza maker, then a fine dining restaurant guy, all to get through high school. And yeah. Then college and all that good stuff. So I liked the work. Yeah. Then I went off, became a teacher and got an MBA and all that fun stuff. Then I became a recruiter for colleges, lived in Europe for four years, running a what was a college campus, but also a hotel. So I always say that might have been my first time as a big manager. It was in the Alps, man. It was like near where Maria von Trapp would have come around with the hills alive. Sounds terrible. It was freaking awesome. <laughs> it was so good, man. Yeah. But uh, the story goes that I came back from that and we're now like three, three children. My beautiful wife and I have been married almost 25 years. Mm -hmm. Now we're up to 10 children now. Tenjo. And I'm dropping the mic on that because not too many times in your life are you going to have somebody say that on the call. Ten <laughs> right? children. So we have six ladies, four dudes, all. My beautiful wife bore them. You know, we didn't get to adopt any, though we would have. Wow. So um, 
We come back and we're here in America. It's 2006. It's the boom time for real estate back then. I'm like, I want to get into real estate. She's like, what the hell you didn't do? You don't know anybody in real estate. I'm like, I don't, but I've been watching this old house since 1979. So I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to get into real estate. So I just start meeting, meeting developers. And I said, well, how do you meet a developer? You become a lender. Oh, I'll become a lender because there's no, it's like super easy to become a, a loan officer or well, a mortgage broker. You just walk in and say, I can, I can cold call and teach me how to do this. And so I did that and I kept meeting developers. Eventually one of them hired me and they hired me. It was, it turns out it was a rich family office. Like one of those things that where they own family businesses, but they might have a hundred million dollars or something really beautiful. <laughs> and I stumbled into that world through this networking. And uh, from that, I became a house flipper for them, but not the kind of house flipper, not a normal kind. They wanted to flip $5 million beach houses. So we were, I was so blessed to be able to do like $55 million worth of waterfront houses up in New Jersey for New Yorkers and Philadelphians and learned tons about architecture and ended up having to be the construction manager and the GC because back in those days, GCs just didn't show up. It was like, Everybody with a pickup truck could call themselves a GC and then you'd give them the job and then they, they'd already taken five others. So they, they took your money, but rarely showed up. Mm -hmm. So now who's, who's helping the subcontractors, the carpenters, the painters, the, the wall decor. And so I ended up learning how to answer their questions by reading the plans, by just good old fashioned hard work, not, not really an educational program other than life. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was awesome. There's a ton of adversity there too. I'll never forget coming back from Europe think I'd read Dale Carnegie. I loved the idea of selling for the good of the others. You know, uh, mm -hmm. have you ever read how to, how to win friends and influence people? Oh yeah. Okay. Great book. Good mindset book. About, it's a good, it's a good to revisit that. I feel like once a year, totally, you know, it's like, oh, that's great that you do that. Cause it's, I, I don't, but I, I should, <laughs> I feel like we, I feel like everybody should. It is legit. Cause it's just like, it's simple laws that all humans should follow. Yeah. And me, and if you haven't listened to it yet, I'm going to do this quiz for your listeners. Take a moment right now and hear the name of the title and you tell me what you're thinking. I know I can't hear you because we're on a one-way yeah, podcast, but when you hear the title, and I'll put it on you, Lance, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, does the title attract you to the book or push you away from the book? If you've never read it yet, like your listeners have never read it yet. Oh, well, I would say it's attractive for me. You know what? It's a. I find this to be almost a 50-50 split. For me, it's not attractive. No. Winning friends. I guess the winning of the friends yeah. part. And influence. Maybe it's because my perspective of where I'm at now, maybe back if I didn't have any personal development and I guess my mindset was different, it might have been like... Cheesy. Yeah, it might have been like, why would I want to... I don't want to win friends. Why would I want to win friends? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the way I take it. But it's, Yeah, yeah. And so if you're listening to this, and this book showed up at one point 30 years ago, somebody told you to read it, we're telling you again, yeah. or 10 years ago, it is worth it, man. It, it's a, it's a, I said, you know what? It was written in the 1930s, so almost 100 years ago. Right. If you were to write that book today, you and I, we would not call it that, but we would write all the same words, and we would call it this. We would say, hmm. how to seek the good of others and earn a leadership position. Earn mm -hmm. the right to lead. Okay. So it's, it's based on this whole premise of the, the greatest minds and the greatest leaders are, are usually the ones that put themselves empathetically in the perspective of the other person. And he does it through stories. He does it about Abraham Lincoln and all that great yeah. stuff. 
and all these tragedies that are going on and how he, you, you remember the one, I could go deep on this because I'm a big teacher of it, but don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, but you know what? It's probably good because this is this is a great lesson. Yeah. Like, let's let's want to hear one. Let's hear sure, one let's story. Go. It's been a while and now it's like, I feel like it's come to my awareness. I need to revisit this book for this reason. So here it is. It's the beginning of the book. And he's talking about how it's it's totally a different type of book than written today. It was an academic research project that he did. And the first preface of the book talks about, I was in New York City, and I'm reading it like an audible book. I was in New York City in 1925, and this was happening, right? And I determined that when I taught courses on how to, you know, I think at the time it was probably sales, right, or something like that, that people were keenly interested in my understanding of how people think and empathy. And so I created a course, and this course has become this book. And I hired, he hired like NYU students to do research, and it was like four academic ghostwriters writing yeah. for him. Yeah. It's a self-help book. I mean, that's not how self-help books are written today, correct? No. It's like you and I, we, we have a great weekend, we write one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but that's a lot of my friends. <laughs> yeah. so, so, but that back then he's hired four college professors to write this freaking book for him. So it's really well written, to be honest with yeah. you. Okay? Yeah. So here's one story. We've all heard this dude, Abraham Lincoln. Okay, tall guy gets killed. Yeah. Thank God he stopped slavery and dies for it and all that good stuff. But that's not his old story. Remember, he's the guy from Illinois, tall, lanky dude, never even went to college, became a lawyer, was wicked smart, apparently. I mean, just de facto smarter than us, perhaps. Maybe not you, but maybe me. Uh, so wicked smart definitely dude. Definitely me. Definitely okay? smarter than me. And back then, like, I guess it was common that if you disagreed in his town or in that community back then, if you disagreed with a political decision, you could, you would, I would be a writer. I'd be an editor. I was, let's call me Abraham Lincoln. I would write an article about how stupid, how stupid you are. Yeah. You know, so he was apparently nasty to people. He would say that no dumber decision has been made for this town and he would lambast you and you're the mayor. I can't remember the mayor's name, but it's mentioned and you're a notable figure in the community and he is just freaking railing on you publicly. And of course there's no media, but newspaper. Yeah. So everybody in town's reading how stupid you are. So eventually, after numerous years of this, off and on, I'm sure it was not all the time, the dude corners Abraham Lincoln and demands a duel to the death. And there's this nuance in the law at that time that if you kill a man, you go to jail. But if you kill a man on water in between two municipalities, that it is no jurisdiction. <laughs> so he challenges him to a dune. A, 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 a sword fight. I thought it was a pistol, but it was a sword fight on a sand dune in the river between two towns. So they walk out there. Abraham Lincoln, of course, had no desire to fight, probably wasn't even very athletic, but he felt challenged back, right? Like the guy got him right where he needed to. He had ego. He had destroyed his own ego so much, that guy, that that guy was willing to kill Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was willing to defend his ego by not being a wimp mm. and not taking the fight. Yeah. So they both go out to the sand dune. And their aides stop them at the last minute, but they were both prepared to kill each other. Mm -hmm. So Abraham Lincoln changes his life that day. This mm -hmm. is the book, right? He changes his life and he goes back to his office and he realizes that he literally almost killed a man because he had already killed his, mm -hmm. or that he was almost killed because he had crushed a man so much that, that they had to fight for their identity. And in this scenario, they had to kill him. So he, he decided that from that day forward, he would never criticize, condemn, or complain in public. And so it, it goes into 
the whole the parts of the book. Never criticize, condemn, or complain. Be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. These old-fashioned expressions are all written throughout this book. And and what what happened to Lincoln was he he decided never to criticize people directly and to 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 steal their their heart or their ego. So he's very sensitive. I I think about this a lot in our management of our leaders because I don't want to disagree with them. Yeah. But I have to disagree. So I always make sure that I see the good in what they were offering, put myself in their shoes so that I can see, I see where we're coming from on this. Here's where we're probably going to have to make the decision not to do it. But, you know, you always have to recognize their, whenever someone shares with themselves with you, they're putting a little bit of their heart out on the table. And you don't want to be, you can, you can easily damage the core of another person. I really believe that. And that's what Abraham Lincoln took from that. Later, he's fighting world civil war. It was like freaking 20 years later. And his generals keep screwing it up. Now, you and I don't know this because we're not always studying history, but in the book, it talks about how uh, Lee uh, and the South were cornered after a battle. They were cornered at the Potomac near D.C., and they were all there. Like almost every general, every everybody was there, and they were trapped on a high tide because, mm-hmm. of course, bridges didn't exist, I guess. And the entire Union Army, was it was their hometown. It was D.C., and they could have just crushed them because they were trapped on three sides with water. Mm. and they didn't. And, of course, it's like by course. It's only like a few, an hour. So the president is aware in real time. It's like he could be watching it out his window. They're, they're right there. Go kill him. Yeah. So he writes letter after letter, and these letters are saved to the general, McKinley or something like that, and the general never moves. The general just sits on the high ground and never attacks. A day goes by, the water recedes, they go to the south, the war goes on for two more years, another 100,000 people die. And he goes, you could have killed him. You could have stopped this war, this tragedy in our history. Why didn't you do it? And so he writes these nasty grams, the same kind of nasty grams, how stupid you are, how you failed us, and blah, blah, blah. And they get discovered after his death. They were all in his drawer. He never sent them. Mm. So, and, and so Dale Carnegie reflects. He goes, why didn't he do it? Why didn't he send those letters? And, and Dale explains that perhaps the man had just been through so much death because both, whatever. He puts himself in the shoes of the general and didn't yeah. send the letters. So anyway, those are the kinds of things that yeah. come out of that book. Just re- tremendously deep empathy. Anyway, fast forward, that's what we do in hospitality. I have a question for you I want to go deeper with that just came to me. Is that, okay, say you're unhappy with somebody and you have to bring attention to it. Like you have to, without criticizing them or or stealing their heart or fire and you may have to fire them or you may have to make a difficult decision. Like what is the right, how is the right way to do that? And how long do mistakes have to happen before like, there's like this fine line where it's, you have this compassion for a person and you, and you, you want them to be the person for that job, but things, things don't flow or things, mistakes happen and you want to try and you want to keep them and, you also don't want to keep criticizing them over and over because you feel bad. But then there's a point where you need to think about, well, what's the what's the choice for the right, you know, for the business or, you know, the the better choice and somebody better for the role. Like, how do you like what's what's the right way? Like how, you know, like what this is the this is the uh, the beautiful challenge of any type of leadership role. And you know, you always aspire to own a business someday, and then you get there. 
Yeah. And you realize you have hundreds of teammates and you take it seriously. You know, first thing I do is I take it seriously that we're providing for the family's livelihood on the other side of the table. We take that seriously. And uh, years ago, when I had to start really making tough decisions like that, I I think this was a bit of a, a, a spiritual epiphany or awakening. I kind of perceived, and you'll hear this now, now that I've come to this, I do hear other people speak about this, that you put yourself in what's good for them. And if they're struggling, failing, if they're if they're either disruptive to the culture and they're almost doing it out of spite or whatever's going wrong, that they're probably suffering. You know, we're suffering as a company, okay? We're suffering on this side of the table, but maybe they're suffering too. And perhaps because they're misaligned with the work. So as soon as you can get into a peaceful spot in your own heart, that you've done everything you can to support them in their role, either they don't want what you want or or they truly can't do it. You know, sometimes I talk about it as like a JV player, wonderful person, but we're on we're on the NBA right now. I mean, you can't be a JV junior high player and playing at the NBA. It's it's, it's big time. And it's not being mean to Billy. <laughs> I was over there having a hard time shooting free throws. He just can't get on the NBA team because he will get crushed. And that sometimes happens in business. All of a sudden, now we're NBA style. You know, we're, we're kind of growing growing through some challenges too. So I always say to them, can we sit down? And I'll demonstrate it. We say, it seems like this is some, some things have come up and, you know, this, this, and this. From our point of view, it, might, it looks like this might not be working out for you. Is that how you feel? Yeah, maybe it's not working out. And then we mutually find a way for them to save face, but either step down or we, we say, we're going to have to make a different, we're going to have to make a change but we're always going to be here for you and we'll, be, we'll do our best to be a great reference for you. So I always end it nice and quick, but I do, usually it'd be nicest. The nicest is if you can have a dialogue where they actually say, yeah, this is not working for me. Yeah. And, you, and then you say, you know, I really appreciate you saying that. And then, then we say, how can we make this work comfortably for you and for us? And, it, and really the kind of blow up terminations, I've, I, we haven't had those in years, you know, that's the, because we put ourselves in what's going on for them. There, maybe there's been one or two blowups, but unavoidable. You also have to have the courage to let that happen, but you have to do it in this kind of balanced perspective, in my opinion. Yeah, and energetically sometimes it's not that there's anything specific wrong. It's just energetically you need yes, to make changes, you. right? Yeah. That yeah. Sometimes that happens. Now, like Sometimes you need to like let – there needs to be new – new energy, new people, new fresh ideas. I think that can happen. You know, I've never really, I don't know if, I like where you're going with that. I, I think the way we avoid that or have that dealt with, this is hilarious. The first day we buy a property, because we're mm -hmm. looking to buy several more hotels and resorts this year. They always have staff. I mean, we're not usually buying abandoned buildings. So it's very, very scary mm -hmm. when a new ownership comes in of any kind. So we have a big gigantic meeting the first day. It's great to meet you. I love what you've done here. Thank you for being part of this company. We're we're going to share with you. This is actually the speech. We're going to share with you why we do what we do, and why our heart is in hospitality. We're going to share with you three words, three virtues that are required. That you want them, not that you're a flawless, perfect person, but that you have aspiration to want three words. I'm about to share with you three virtues. If you want them, you you will love working with us. If you hate what I'm about to say, does not make you a bad person. Just means you can't work here anymore. And that's okay. Doesn't make you a bad mm -hmm. person. We will help make your transition good. This is this I've said this to a hundred person room with a hundred people that I don't know. 
And I'll say, let me say the three words and I'll keep teasing the three words. Cause I'm like, these are the three things that we make all our decisions based on. We can only work in hospitality because we think what we're doing is good for others. If we have joy of service, does service bring you joy? Your choice, Bill, Sam, Jenny, for me, it does. Like if you ask me for help right now, I actually feel really good to help you. Not everybody's hardwired that way, mm-hmm. but only those kind of hardwired people can work here. It could be an accountant. I love my work. It can be front desk. I love being a front desk. I can be on the phone. I love being on the phone. Like it's something in your heart. You like that work Two. Do you think everyone, no, I'll just say the word first, humility. So what do we mean? We mean that we think everyone in this room has the same infinite dignity and worth as you do or as I do. Therefore, we are all must be treated with love. If you like that, doesn't mean we're perfect. We're going to get upset. You're going to get upset. Doesn't mean anything, but we want the good of you, for you. And we want everyone here to feel welcomed. And that's how it is for our guests too. If you like that, you're on the right team. And three, but, but I said the negative though, that the consequences, you actually have to be willing to be humbled. So that means picking up trash like I do or helping someone who's struggling. It's not, mm, I love that. It's not arrogance. It's true humility services, ultimate humility. And the third one is mind bending. It's called ministry. And we say everyone on the team has to seek to transmute their work from task to ministry. And what that means is it just means doing simple tasks, the same things we have to do anyway, clean the bar, bring out glasses, make a great cocktail, not so that we get the task done. That's not enough. It's so that when we hand it to the guests, they feel because you're taking a physical thing and making it spiritual by doing that because your intentionality is shifting from a perfect cocktail with the great garnish to a perfect cocktail with a great garnish. So they feel loved. Ah, yes. There you go, bro. That's our story. That just, that brings me back so much to the days when I was in, you know, working in the cocktail bars and the standards. And what I used to say to my staff is like, your job is to make these people feel better than they did before. If you can do that every time someone sits down and you make their day better, you impact them for the better and they feel better, you're winning. Absolutely. We use the word winning. Not everybody went winning means you could have lost. Yeah. It's a, it, there is a, there is a dichotomy there. Yeah. You're, you're encouraging your people to seek to win. That's actually right. a great thing. Because that's a lesson. It, the lessons you learn in hospitality, it's, it's, it's like a life hack for the rest of your life. Amen, brother. Like if you can use that in all relationships, like you want to lift people up. You want to feel, you want every single human you come in contact with to feel better after you, not deflated. Why not? Why not? Yes. Like imagine great. doing that over and over again, right? And like the humility and, and serving and hospitality and the amount of work and multitasking you have to do and the amount of shit you got to put up with and people and personalities, people don't understand it unless they've done it. It is, a, it is like a life it's, university. It's a, it's a it, adversity universe. It really is. You're, you're, you, you almost have to like, you, you have to adapt so much, so many different ways. You have to wear so many hats. Don't you love it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's making you want to come join me. Aren't I, you? <laughs> I I loved it for many years, but you know, for me, I got into the you know I was the bar bar guy, and for me, I loved this part where we would sit down. I'd have a high executive person sit down, 
did. And or a, a celebrity or whatever. And I love like breaking those barriers. They'd come in all like, oh, who's this bartender? And by the end, they're high-fiving me or hugging me. And I love that human connection. That's what I loved. And when I went into podcasting, I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's the same thing. Yeah. But it's it different. Is. And I'm like, but it's actually, for me, it's more of a, a healthier envir environment than it was for me serving somebody a drink for, you know, talking about their problems. Because, you know, I was in a different place. Right. But it's still a beautiful experience. Right. And that's what I loved about it. And it's kind of like yeah. that connecting with people. You know, not many people are as articulate as you are. I, when we go out and give this speech, you know, on the, the culture, because we, we're kind of award winning now, we're kind of on our path to be a Ritz Carlton. No, we don't yeah. charge as much. And by the way, you said four seasons in your history. Was Ritz also in your history or no? No. Okay. Is there distinction in the way you guys are trained, do you think? Because you're both at the top level, those properties. Well, I worked at QT in, in, in Australia. It was like a boutique, kind of a smaller chain. And then I went over to Four Seasons to kind of finish off my, and I did the cocktail program in Sydney there. I was assistant bar manager there. And the training was, yeah, it was in depth. Yeah. And it was interesting because I went sober the entire year that I worked there. So yeah. it was, it was so much different because as a bartender, you would think it would be harder being sober, but my creativity and my focus and being the lead was so much better than I was when I was not sober. <laughs> and so, yeah, like the training and the standards where I was going with this is like, I made it, it was a big deal to say this cocktail, this is how it looks and the straws on this side, the garnish on this side and it's turn. And this is how you get it. It needs to look like that every time. Like it needs to look like that because when, when that's how people build trust, that's how people come back is that they feel that, you, you know, your attention to detail. That's why pe people want that same feeling again. They want to show that you care. But if you just throw something together, it looks different every time. They're like, this guy doesn't care. And it's like, I, I really resonate with that because it's like that standard of like really making each person's experience like so important. It's like each person and, and the quality, the quality of making sure the consistency across the board is there. But so many people don't realize how important that is. And they wonder why their bars are empty. Or they wonder <laughs> why they're not busy. It's like the consistency and the quality is, it isn't there. Yeah. Right. And you can, obviously you see that, right? The people that win oh, are yes. the people that are just like the standards are just, you know, it's so high. You guys are, so I will say we get to cheat a little bit in our business because we're not shooting for five star. Mm. Five star, what you just described is the distinction. <laughs> And our teammates are listening to this, so that is awesome, right? Like spin the glass, put the. Put, I used to stand there. That's so I, awesome. I used to stand there, and be like, "No, garnish is wrong. Throw it out." Like I was literally like, before, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, "What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Should we try that at our, our properties?" And here's the deal: we're, we're doing high volume, yeah. And so, what we're our challenge is yeah. to create human connection, yeah, at scale. And so, we teach our teammates that there's a there's an old expression: ten and five, yeah. ten feet, five feet. Do yeah. You know that expression. Yeah. At 10 feet, even in other places say this, but we added more. 10, 5 feet, more. At 10, 5, and more is what we say. At 10 feet, this is good old-fashioned human-to-human uh, uh, relations, but at 10 feet, you greet people with your eyes coming down a corridor if you're passing people, right? For sure. Welcoming. They're welcoming with your eyes. At 5 feet, you verbally welcome them. And at 0 feet, you read their body language. And if you're in a corridor situation or a restaurant situation and you, they turn their shoulders to you, 
Mm-hmm. We teach this because, you know, body language, all that stuff's oh, not yeah. as common this month. They want something. So we say that's where more kicks in, M-O-R-E. What do they want? You do it. So we'll do whatever you want. When, we, when you turn and address any of us, what more can we do? And it's usually, where's the restroom? How can I do this? What time's the restaurant open? Whatever it is, that's why we're here. Yeah. So we always say interactions are going to lead to the impact. And so we encourage them to feel, mm. feel completely empowered, all of us, cleaning ladies, me, the dish guys are my buddies, uh, whatever. We're all here. If you see us in the hallway, we're stopping. We're, we're, we're greeting you. I love it, man. What would you say if you had to give advice to somebody out there? This is around adversity and just in general, you know, after working and, and creating so much success, somebody that's struggling maybe with a direction in their life or they're going through something challenging, what advice would you have for them? There's two types. I think this is me opining because we're on a microphone. We're allowed to opine apparently. But then, no, I would say that I look at it two different ways. It is always going to take that little bit of discernment if you're prayerful, pray. But I think there's a great book written by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm-hmm. Old-fashioned philosophy of the Stoics. Stoics, yeah. It's a great book. So if the adversity and the challenges to get to get clear very well might be you being challenged to deeper and greater things. So this whole idea that you're searching for your clarity, you, you might want to just push right into that boulder, push it up the hill, try to figure it out. Try things. I mean, I'm a big believer in doing things too, though. So if you, if you, if you have absolutely no clarity, maybe take some kind of step. You need to have some inclining, right? And then there's the other type of adversity, and this is where it takes discernment, where maybe, uh, I think it's probably connected to your peace. If your peace is getting worse and worse and worse, then I think that's probably not the adversity you need to go into. Mm. I think the adversity you're going into is probably external uh, adversities. That's the one you should power into and and through, like losing money or, or being fired, all those types of things that you have to pick up and move forward. Um, but, you know, I, w- I would think you'd want to find peace. In, and, and I think you can do that with those. There's this great uh, spiritual exercise called The Miracle Morning mm-hmm. with Hal Elrod. I highly encourage that book. So if you really want to start from basics, I would encourage you to get that. It's, like, it's called The Savers, Silence, Affirmations, V for Visualizations, E for Exercise, R for write it, uh, Read, Read Something, and then S for Write It Down, Scribing. So that technique if you haven't read Hal Elrod. I haven't, but it's like I, I keep so, hearing it. It's like I need to hear it. I, I'm paying attention to the books that come into my awareness. Yeah. It's a good book. It's called The, it's called, uh, the Miracle Morning. Yeah. And it, it's his theory that you, if you build that into your routine, which I'm not great at, but every once in a while I get on a kick and I get started. He's been on our show, Capital Hacking, a few times. and he does, he does an endorsement for us and everything. But if you can pl- pl- plow through that, you will get some deep work done on your heart. Mm. and the journaling and all that good stuff will provide a lot more clarity. Mm. Well, we got the five-minute mark. I want to ask you this. Somebody as successful as you, what does your morning look like? Yeah, well. Like, what, is it, what does it look like? So you, let's put it like this. You know you have a massive meeting. Like, you know you have a big day, and probably every day is big, but you just have to be on it. You need to get to that level of, like, firepower. You know, what is your question. ideal? That yeah, works? I mean, ideal would be the miracle morning, ideal. which that whole that yeah. routine. The truth is, I'm not good at it. Okay, the truth is, is probably my routine is 
I know exactly what my routine is. It's super unimpressive. It's wake up, help my wife a little bit, get the kids out on the bus and get in the car. Well, it works. And drive. It works. Of course, successful you are. I drive for an hour and I use that for either podcast listening or quiet. Mm. I mean, I don't typically have the radio on. Coffee? Love coffee. Coffee in hand. Yeah, there you go. That's my routine. Hey. But that that hour helps me a lot. So I drive, I commute about an hour. That so that having a coffee, quiet time, getting your mind prepped, you know, that's, that's good enough. That's big. Imagine yeah. somebody doesn't have that commute and they sit and they do that at home for an hour. Yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yep. And I'm uh, I'm a big fan of podcasts like you are. Obviously, if you wouldn't do this, I always you know uh, what we call ours now. Feel free to steal this. The brand name is called Capital Hacking. It's a killer podcast, but we say it's your personal audio mastermind. Uh, and it's always because you know this is okay. You're here at this big mastermind event, right? Go abundance. And the reason you and I are here is to be around other people sharing ideas that would not show up in my mind. Yes. And that's what podcasting is doing for us too, right? Yeah, man. I haven't met you, Bill, Sam, Jenny, Teresa. I haven't met you yet. I know you're driving in your Tesla. You're probably not even holding on to the wheel. Yeah. Um, but I'm here for you, and I, I hope we've added some value. Dude, this is awesome. And this is why this is so cool because, you know, I think I'm doing a total of seven in two days. And out of all the people, <laughs> out of all the people, though, you know, I don't know y- right. who I'm going to get paired with. And I think there's something pretty cool about that. It's like, well, why did I get, why did I get this person or that person? And I'm, I'm hearing this book. I'm hearing this. I'm like, that's the shit I pay attention to. Because yeah. I'm like, you know, and, and this is, everybody's different. Everyone's such a great story. And this was powerful, man. Thank you for, thank you for the conversation. And yeah, man, I, I'm, thank so, you, Lance. so grateful to have you on. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Absolutely. Where can everybody check you out and learn more about you? You know what? I mean, this sounds like a plug, but the funny plug away. This is the chance. The funny thing about adversity, we we didn't get into too many of the specific issues. We've been kicked a lot, and and you do just have to know if you're on the. you, You just have to choose a path and stay on the path. But today, you know how much you and I love hotels. Now we've divided our business into partners from all over the world are investing little bits of money and they own them. Then my company of this training operating company, Viva May. So we have accountableequity.com. That's where all our owners are. And that's a whole community of normal people who just want to own the stuff that's not fake like Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So it's real buildings, real people going to work every day. And then Viva May is our whole, you can look that up. That's French for Revive the Soul. That's our hospitality brand. And Beautiful. We have a construction company. But Podcast is the best way to follow up. Capital hacking, baby. Capital Check hacking. What a what a name, right? You heard it, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, one of my the main takeaways for me was just the power of the how important leadership is and how important communication is. And this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is such a powerful tool. So highly recommend going and getting that book. And yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did recording it. It was a lot of fun. And go follow Josh. He's got some great stuff going on. And uh, yeah, much love. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, I appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day. Catch you next time.